What is ADHD? What does that weird thing mean? How to know if I'm gay? Or not really okay? No thoughts left unsaid. We'll talk here instead. So come have a chat with Charlie. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Chatting with Charlie. Today, for the first time, I am actually joined by a guest and I'm incredibly excited because the guest is someone who is incredibly close to my heart. She's witty, she's clever, she's funny and she's one of the most important people in my life. I am joined by my sister and today, as you do with your family, we are talking about sex. More specifically, sex education, what mum and dad didn't tell you. And I thought my sister would be a good good guest here, as we do have the same mum and dad, and (laughs) we had sort of similar experiences growing up with our parents, but then we are very different people, and we have sort of, yeah, different views, different perspectives on it. So I thought what we'd start with, um, maybe a bit of an icebreaker, is what was the very first time you heard about sex? Who explained it to you, and what did they explain to you? Um, well, I was with a, at a friend's house, and we were beginning of primary school, maybe like six, seven years old, and, um, she, her brother told her, like, about sex, and so, and then they, um, she showed me, like, a porn video, and that was the first time, yeah, that I heard about it, and I didn't really talk about it, we just watched the video, so, Yeah. Well, that's quite a, an interesting start. For me, it was more sort of, I guess, the, the classical way. Um, what you listeners probably need to know is when we were younger, we were actually quite involved in uh, the church community and um, we went to Sunday school. And so uh, my parents tried to explain to me, um, while we were doing the Sunday school story, how the world was, was made in that and, you know, the seven days of creation. And then we talked about the dinosaurs. And then I sort of wanted to know, well, but if God didn't make the dinosaurs, where did they come from? And then, but if the dinosaurs were made, then how did the next dinosaurs happen? And my mum, I was quite young, so my mum sort of, you know, didn't want to go into too much detail and she was kind of embarrassed talking to me about it as well. So she used lots of euphemisms. Um, and she told me that when mummy and daddy love each other a lot, they have a very special cuddle. And after that, I was a bit scared of hugs because I thought having a special cuddle <laughs> might make you pregnant. So that was sort of the first time that I heard about it. So you said that you watched a porn video and that you were actually subjected to porn at a really, really young age. Do you think that changed how you thought about sex sort of when you grew up? Mm, No, not really, because that was one of the only times when I watched porn because I just didn't find it something that I enjoyed watching. And so I wasn't really... You weren't really, um, sort of, it didn't change much within you. You didn't feel any great emotions or anything. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, you said that personally you're not an incredibly big fan of porn. If you think about um, some of the things you have seen or what you know about porn, how would you say, who would you say is the, the target audience of porn and how is it portrayed? Um, well, it's definitely targeted for the men and um, so it's usually stuff that men would enjoy and yeah. Exactly. It's sort of, it's very much targeted at men. And even if you think about lesbian porn, for example, um, it's very much, very much for the male gaze. Um, if I think about, so um, I, I am <laughs> a lesbian. <laughs> and if I think about some of my first experiences with porn, I saw lesbian porn and I, I I didn't like it. I felt incredibly uncomfortable and it felt very objectifying and um, I couldn't explain what it was but then I sort of questioned my own sexuality and thought maybe maybe there's something wrong with me because I don't like this. And I think that's something that very many sort of young people in general feel or experience because they think that porn is the reality and of course this isn't to say that people that work in porn um sex workers that is a completely legitimate job and um i'm sure that uh, it can be very difficult and i'm 100 percent pro sex work please don't get me wrong but i think the way that a lot of sort of conventional porn is targeted to we towards heterosexual cisgender men um can be a bit of a problem. So the next thing I'd like to talk to you about is, um, uh, as you know, my podcast aims to be very inclusive. And so far we've been talking about men and women, but there are some terms I'd like to clear up in case other people haven't heard of them. Um, could you, in your own words, describe what it means to be cisgender and transgender, for example, if we talk about these terms? Um, well, being cisgender means that you were, for example, assigned female at birth and also identify as a woman. And, yeah, all the same with, like, if you were assigned male at birth and identify as a man, something like that. And then um, transgender is, like, if you were, for example, assigned male at birth but identify as a, a female, or, yeah, exactly the other way around again. And then there's obviously, like, non-binary and things like that as well. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, here, generally, when, when we're talking about men or women, we're, um, yeah, obviously we are including all women because <laughs> trans women are women and all women are women. So when we are talking about sort of genital-specific things, genital-specific talk, we will try and actually use those terms rather than um, associating genitals with gender because that is just not the, the point of this podcast and also not the point of this episode. So when we do talk about uh, genitals, <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a weird thing to be talking to your sister about really, but when we are talking about genitals, um, the first thing maybe we should clear up is the correct terminology. So Becca, could you explain to our uh, listeners what the difference between a vulva and a vagina is? Because it's often used interchangeably. Yeah, so the vulva is um, a part of your genital on the outside of your body and then um, vagina is just um, one part of the vulva um, 
where so yeah some people or most people think that vagina is the whole thing but they actually just mean the vulva exactly so yeah people use these terms interchangeably but i think um if we're talking about our bodies um these aren't bad words this is something sort of in our childhood we were almost made to feel like a vulva was a bad word and yeah we didn't learn the correct terminology for it for quite a long time we called it the front bottom and you know that's something that's very typical i've heard lots of people calling it a front bottom or a front bum but i think it's very empowering and also very important to use the correct terminology so um, maybe just one more fact for our listeners Uh, the clitoris um (laughs) lots of jokes revolve around it revolve revolver (laughs) oh dear i'm sorry i'm very sorry to any everyone who's listening uh the clitoris many people think it's just sort of the the pearl on the outside but actually it's a very um it's quite a big organ and in the state of arousal um it, it uh, lots of it is not visible, but it does actually swell. And also, um, if we if we look at a penis and a vagina uh, or a vulva, if we look at the the whole um, genital systems throughout uh, the ha, um, uh, I can't think of the non scientific word. Um, the oh my god, through development. Sorry about this. That sounded awfully pretentious, Uh, but I'm just, I'm a biology student, and uh, I'm sorry if I sound really pretentious now. I can only think of the science. I'm so clever. No, but if we look at it in the the development when the genitals are still still growing um, in, in the uterus, when the when someone is pregnant, then the development is very, very similar for a very long time. And also structurally, they are very similar. Okay, um, talking of genitals, going back to the porn, what do genitals look like in porn? Well, um, so usually completely shaved and like, yeah, and like, um, for the girl, usually like, really small and like a well I heard like on TikTok that there's like a innie and a outie vagina and that is usually just like the beauty standard vagina that's presented exactly there is there's one there is a beauty standard as you said exactly an innie and outie and also some of the terms that we hear here is oh you know she's got a roast beef vagina looks like a roast beef sandwich and all of these things they can make us feel ashamed of our genitals when actually if you so the inny and outy the the lips the labia there's the labia minora and uh majora so you've got the the inner and the outer labia and um an inny is just if the the inside lips are uh, hang further down or are larger than the outside ones, which is the case for the vast majority of people who have vaginas but um Exactly. In in porn, again, we have this one standard and many people don't feel like they're good enough. And if that's the only thing that they that they see, then they might think that there's something wrong with them. So you told me about the first time you sort of heard about sex and the first time you were introduced to sex. Um, when we talked uh, or when you were taught about it at school, do you remember anything about your sex education at school, what it was like? Uh, yeah, I do remember, but it was very, like, we just 
talked about the topic like very quickly and it was kind of nothing, no like good information and it was all like about heterosexual um, sex and um, yeah we learned how to put a condom on and that was pretty much it and then we learned about the different kinds of contraception and things like that yeah because we had we actually had a pretty good biology teacher and you know it was fairly um inclusive as as far as that is um you know typical in schools but um i heard of biology teachers that said though they were too embarrassed to talk about sex they they would sort of briefly talk about pregnancy and that's it and sex is a really normal part of life, you know, not everyone wants to have sex, but it is something that many people want to do and many people do do, but there's so much stigma and shame around it. And I think a really good place to start would be in schools to make sex education more inclusive and also more, I guess, usable and accessible for the people who who hear it because yeah learning about the stages of pregnancy it's interesting and it's important but it's not everything and I think particularly sex education just needs to talk about more topics what would be some things that you would like to hear about in school um well as I already mentioned like even though like, I don't like girls, it would be good for people that are homosexual or bisexual and things like that, that, um, that they, like, also get to learn something, um, about that and have a good sex education, so I think it should be more inclusive, and otherwise, just, as you said, like, yeah, interesting to know about the stages and pregnancy, but I don't really need to know what happens every week, like, that's not the most... Like, I'd rather learn, like, important things as well and not just that. Exactly. Um, when we were... So you just mentioned homosexuality as a, a thing that is sort of not mentioned at all or only mentioned very briefly. Uh, was it mentioned at all um, in your sex education and do you by any chance remember the context? I'm pretty sure it wasn't mentioned, no. I don't, I don't remember it happening. I, I have seen it in a few books, but there is sort of one one word, one illness that is very often associated with it, and that's the only context that we hear about homosexuality very often. Do you know what I'm talking about? AIDS. Exactly. AIDS. It's the, the one word that we, or that many people associate with homosexuality, and here it sort of... It's a problem of our patriarchal society because when we're thinking about it, when we think of AIDS, we are mostly thinking of cisgender, gay uh, men. That is who we're thinking of. But also, um, yeah, it's incredibly stigmatizing to just um, to to just talk about homosexuals as if they were sort of the the bringer of illness. And in the 80s, we had the so-called AIDS crisis. Have you heard about that? Is it a vocab that you've heard before? Or? Yeah, I have heard about it. Exactly. So in the, in the AIDS crisis, maybe for people that don't know, so AIDS was a massive problem and it was not yet, um, not yet treatable and uh, very many people died. And it was seen as something very 
dirty. Having AIDS was... So it was, it was a death sentence, but it was also a social death sentence because people had these really weird ideas that you couldn't touch someone with AIDS, that you couldn't touch their skin, and um, it was used to further marginalise homosexual people by portraying them as dirty and as something that is wrong. So... When we talk about, um, when we talk about AIDS, <laughs> AIDS, um, uh, many people are sort of lacking mm, deeper knowledge about it. So we talk about STDs and we say, oh, use a condom so you don't catch an STD, but then we don't really talk about it any further. Have you ever learned from school that actually AIDS or uh, being H H I I keep calling it HPV, I'm really sorry, I'm super confused. HPV is also an illness and you can vaccinate against it. It Please get vaccinated. It is the number one cause of um, uterine cancer, but I'm talking about HIV. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. Get vaccinated, guys um, and girls and everyone else. But, sorry, have you heard that there are actually ways that you can have unprotected sex with someone who is HIV positive and not pass it on? Or that you can, yeah, that you have very a very good life expectancy and life nowadays if you have AIDS? No, I did not know that. Exactly. This is something that we were actually taught at school because we have a great biology teacher, but, oh, we had a great biology teacher, but there's um, medication which is called PrEP, which you can take uh, preventatively before engaging in um, in sexual activity with someone who is HIV positive. And also, if you had some, if you had sex with someone, or it doesn't have to be sex, it's also used in hospitals, for example, if someone has direct contact with uh, someone's blood who is HIV positive, then you can take this and you can actually fairly effectively not have an outbreak of this disease. Uh, and then there's also medication that you can take where, yes, you have to take medication for the rest of your life and you are uh, immunocompromised and that. So obviously I'm not saying to take it lightly, but people with AIDS are incredibly stigmatized. Generally, um, STDs, so sexually transmitted diseases and infections are so stigmatized. And this stigma is a really big problem because um, if we see an illness as something that only a certain type of person can get and this maybe isn't the, the most profitable type of person or this is a marginalised community, um, it often takes a lot longer for resources to be put into this cause. Uh, so if we think about the AIDS crisis and also if we think about where AIDS probably came from sort of uh, geographically, which reasons there were, uh, which regions, there was a lot of racism at play, there was uh, definitely homophobia at play. Um, are there any sort of, can you think of any current examples of something that's happened where maybe racism and, and stigma has played a role in, yeah, dividing society? <laughs> Yeah, for example, um, the like fairly at the beginning of Corona and um, when people were like um, really racist about Asian people and yeah were 
Yeah, exactly. It was it was used sort of to further racist stigma and uh, maybe something that's quite interesting is many of the illnesses we have nowadays are animal born and they've actually, they date back quite far. So since we domesticated animals, since we've been doing that and living in close contact with uh, big groups of animals, big herds of animals, uh, we have many animal-borne diseases that we didn't have before. So the illnesses that start in animals eventually eventually go into humans is not an uncommon phenomenon and it's not an uncommon thing. But because sort of here in, in Europe and that... Uh, we, we eat meat and there's certain meat that we do eat but um, yeah other types of other types of meat uh, aren't typically eaten so people were saying oh it's disgusting and it's because it's because the the Asians they ate the Chinese they ate bats and uh, as far as I know it's still not completely clear where corona did start but even if it even if it had started at the the markets you know it is something that inevitably, happens uh, and has happened throughout human society uh, when living in close contact to animals. So <laughs> we have a bit of, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, infectology. I'm pretty sure that's not what it's called. There is a, <laughs> a proper word that I can't think of now. Um, <clears throat> but there is something that I would like to talk about when saying that not all illnesses are as profitable as others or aren't as well. It's not even about as profitable, but the research that is done. Um, endometriosis. I think that's a big one that lots of us have heard, but maybe don't know that much about. Does that ring a bell in you? Yeah, I've heard the word, but I wouldn't, couldn't be able to say what it is. So. Oh, okay. So shall I quickly yeah. describe it? Right, so basically endometriosis. Uh, the endometrium is the, um, the, the, the layer of skin uh, or the layer of tissue inside your uterus. And uh, as we all learned at school, <laughs> the menstrual cycle, um, we have different hormones in the skin. Uh, sorry, this, this tissue, this layer, it gets thicker and thinner. And then we have a period when we bleed and shed the, the uterine lining. That's the word I was looking for. And with endometriosis, basically this lining, it doesn't just grow inside your uterus, but it can grow pretty much anywhere inside your, um, yeah, inside your body. I mean, probably not in your hands and your feet, but it can grow on other organs. It can grow outside of your uterus. It grow can grow in your ovaries. It can be on your bladder, on your intestines, even on your lungs. Um, so it doesn't really sound great. Do you know what symptoms the people have if they have endometriosis? No, I don't. Okay, so the main thing is really severe period pain. That's sort of the, one of the, the first symptoms, that people will have excruciating period pain, not just during their period. So if you were to call in sick at work or whatever, at school or even cancel maybe a friend because you've got period pain, what would some things do you think that you would hear well I mean it's depending on who you'd say it to because like girls would probably understand but there are a lot of people that if you say yeah you've got a like a period pain I don't know if people would like say something but a lot of people would think that you're being dramatic and ridiculous and that that's not a reason to not um come to work or something like that 
Exactly. Um, here I would just like to, <coughs> sorry, reiterate what I said at the beginning, uh, as much as I agree with everything you said, that, again, um, not every girl obviously menstruates, and there oh, are yeah. also people that sorry. menstruate that aren't men, uh, that aren't women, um, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so lots of people would even sort of maybe come with things like, oh, man up, or don't be such a pussy. Where again, so we're seeing sort of men something good and strong. Manning up means to be strong, but to be a pussy, which is slang for female genitalia, is something very negative. And exactly, so this can be excruciating pain. Um, studies have shown that endometriosis pain can be as, um, can be as painful as childbirth. But still, um, yeah, uh, there isn't that, there hasn't that been that much research done. And also, um, the uh, diagnosis takes an average of about 10 years until you actually get a diagnosis once, once you start sort of seeking one. And now the interesting thing, or also the very tragic thing, is that one in five people who menstruate probably suffer from endometriosis. And when do they get diagnosed? Well, the way they get diagnosed is because they want children and you can't get pregnant. I mean, not generally with endometriosis. Um, there's very different forms and lots of things can, can cause trouble with getting pregnant or not. But that seems to be the time when you actually get taken seriously. Sometimes you're made to feel like um, <laughs> your role in society is to be a baby-making machine, which can be quite, um, yeah, it can be, can be quite a burden because some people don't actually want to be baby-making machines and they don't want to have children at all. What do you think about, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about children? Do you want to have children? Do you see children as part of your future? Well, I mean, I'm only 16, so I, it's not been in my head, like, getting pregnant, but um, I think at some stage, probably, but I want to just live my life without kids for a while, and then maybe when I'm older, just make some experiences first, and then maybe have children, if it comes to that. If you were to get pregnant now, what would be, do you think you would want to keep the baby? And if you didn't, do you know what possibilities you have what your rights are, what your, yeah, what your options are? Um, well, if I were to get pregnant now, I don't really have, know exactly what I would do. It would, like, kind of depend on the situation, but probably I'd get an abortion because, well, I just don't think I'm in the right mind to have a child at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, there are, I know that there are different kinds of abortion you abortions you can have. I uh, did a presentation on that once, um, but otherwise I don't know if there's anything else you can do. Exactly. Um, so thinking thinking of abortions, um, there are different types as you said, but there is one thing that they all have in common. So uh, we live in Austria, so I only know about the Austrian law, but basically abortions are they are illegal, but you don't get, um, you can't get like a, a fine or 
um, there isn't actually any consequence to doing it. Uh, we actually have, I think, similar similar rules with marijuana as well, up to a certain degree. Uh, but it's only so it only doesn't have consequences within the third, uh, the first trimester. So you're pregnant for about nine months. The first trimester is the first three months, and pregnancy uh, is measured from from the first day of your last period. So if you have an irregular cycle anyway, um, often you might not even know that you're pregnant and it's not that, yeah, so it's not that easy. Um, which again, why if we ban abortions like they have done in some countries, do you think that will actually reduce the amount of abortions happening? I mean, people that argue that they are pro-life what do you think happens if we actually ban abortions? Well, I don't know. I just think it's ridiculous. And I, d I don't really know what would happen because I don't think there'd be less abortions. Um, exactly. Um, banning abortions just means banning safe and legal yeah, abortions. Yeah, definitely. It would be done illegally and in a unsafe way and that would just cause more harm than is necessary. So, Exactly. Um, I haven't really got a very good way to get there from what we were talking about now, but um, one thing that I think has been lacking in every single bit of sex education that I've ever gotten anywhere, so from my parents, at school, in every book I've ever read is consent. What does consent mean to you? Well, I think that consent, for example... Like, if it's not a real strong yes, then it's a no kind of thing. So, like, for example, I have quite difficulties, like, saying no and telling people, um, like, what I actually want and things like that. So, like, if it's not a yes coming from my mouth, then don't do anything kind of thing. And it's definitely important that... Yeah, you don't try to convince someone if they say no, and if they don't want to do anything, then you don't do it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, consent is something that is you can take back at any time, and um, communication is always important. Consent is an ongoing thing, and consent can be sexy. You know, you can ask, you can say, do you like this? And you can say, show me what you like and what you want. And something that I think is very important is that consent is not just confined to the bedroom. That boundaries have to be accepted and that we can teach people bodily autonomy and consent at a much, much earlier age. For example, parents often force their kids to hug family members that they don't want to, even if they feel uncomfortable. And here this can be a lesson in consent by saying it is okay to say no, you can communicate, you can say this is not what I want, I don't like this, please don't hug me. And these are all very, very uh, valid and um, important things to learn. Okay, um, I think that we've sort of gone through, through most of the things that I um, had thought about and had planned before. Have you got any, any closing words, anything that you think is important, anything you'd like to tell our listeners maybe our younger listeners who haven't had sex before. Um, yeah, anything, any knowledgeable <laughs> wisdom? Well, about the 
consent thing I was just thinking because you said yeah it's an ongoing thing and things like that that also think a lot of people when they're in a relationship kind of think yeah, that means they've got the consent to do stuff and that's definitely important that even if you are in a relationship you do check up if everything's fine and things and that you don't just do what you want because you're in a relationship with the person so yeah that's something that I wanted to add and also that was just a thought that came up earlier that's not really got to do with the topic right now but I was just thinking because you were speaking about being a pussy and I was thinking like yeah like how some people like say yeah you're such a pussy or yeah and um, do that if you've got balls and things like that so it's like that um like the pussy is um connected to something negative and then having balls is a good thing kind of thing so that was just a thought that popped up beforehand and otherwise um I don't know to younger listeners people that haven't had sex and things like that um I don't really know it's I don't think it's something you need to like stress about or anything and just yeah do it in your own time and have in your own way and yeah exactly I have um a few more a few more things to add to that as well um things that I wish that someone had told me when I was younger so uh, I think Becca said really well <laughs> don't um don't don't let it be something um that's really stressful and that puts pressure on you um in, enjoy it and know what you want and also um, know that actually sex isn't as big a deal as many people make it out to be. Uh, we have this romanticized notion of we'll have sex and then suddenly we become a whole new person and it changes everything and actually it changes nothing mostly. Um, do what you feel comfortable with and don't do something just because other people say that you think you should and also don't be embarrassed for completely natural things that can happen during sex. Don't be embarrassed by noises or sweating or laughing or getting out of the mood or um, something else that does happen to some people is that they feel incredibly emotional after sex and that they cry and just know that all of these things are very natural and that they happen to a lot of people and by having these sort of open dialogues like we are now, we can um, take away some of the fear and some of the, the mystery, things that aren't talked about that much, yeah, usually. Yeah, and also because you were saying like um, that it's made such a big deal out of, I was just thinking about like how, how it's such a big deal to lose your virginity and things like that, like that, first of all, um, that most people think of sex as just like um, putting your penis in the vagina kind of thing, um, but there are like many ways how you can have sex, or for example, if um, people of the same, that, um, that have the same genitals, like um, that, there are like ways that they can have sex as well and things like that um so yeah and just that it's made such a big deal out of losing your virginity when as olivia said it's probably not such a big thing 
and yeah I feel like a lot of people then that are a little bit old and haven't lost their virginity kind of thing that they are like stressed about it and feel bad but I don't know it's just not a thing to worry about kind of that is actually a really really important thing thank you for bringing that up I completely forgot about that thanks for for mentioning that I think that is uh, incredibly important that um, so uh, lots of people don't lose their virginity uh, consensually because we do sort of we have this notion of the first penis in a vagina takes your virginity and that changes you as a person and then well, there are these ridiculous myths like virgins can't use tampons because the tampons will take the virginity and all this sort of this sort of bullshit and all of that rubbish and it's just it's ridiculous and um foreplay you know it said oh just women like foreplay and that but foreplay is sex Penetration is not the only way to have sex. Sex is what you want it to be and how you want it to be. And many things can be part of sex. Masturbation can be part of sex. And also, yeah, so just remember, sex is as individual as you are and there is no right way to do it as long as all parties involved are enthusiastically consenting. Okay, I think... We can yeah. wrap it up. Thank you very, very much for having this incredibly interesting conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah, it was very nice. Where can we find you if we want to follow you and your content? Oh, yes. So you can follow me on Instagram at Becca Polly, but the O is a zero. And yeah, I also have a YouTube channel. I and now, as this episode reaches the end, I would like to share something with you that makes me incredibly happy. Sausage.